this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That is right of the London is Blue podcast. One of your hosts, Dan, here. Joined alongside, not Brandon Busby. Brandon Busby out for the weekend, having a blast in Duluth, I believe. There, Nicholas Duluth is that is that a hot spot for weekend activity in in the Midwest? If you're a Game of Thrones fan, this is north of the wall. All right, like this this is uh, this is where the first men were. I, I mean, you know, the children of the forest are up there. It is. I think they got up there before it actually froze over completely. So, you know, good for them. But it kind of looked like some neat bars and breweries and stuff up there. So I'm sure it was fun. It was just fun indoors mostly. We're going to need Brandon to describe Blingo when he gets back. I've not heard of a yeah, Blingo my before. my God. That looks interesting. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, without Brandon Busby here, we've got Nick. And then uh, the wonderful, the erudite Joe Tweeds joins us to help round out the, you know, Fantastic three here, then, that we uh, that we're putting on for today. What? One might say a treble, Dan, a, a, tre- a treble oh. of people. Hmm. And do you know why one might say that, Dan? You're not gonna let Joe say hi first. Did no, you just, no, no, no. Okay, nope. cool. We're going straight in. Do you know why? Because the Chelsea women have won a domestic treble. Um, this will be explained more in our Tuesday episode with Abdullah and Jesse and. Maybe a guest to be named later, uh, not me. So that there's a gift uh, to all Chelsea women's fans out there that I will not be on this podcast. Uh, but they absolutely stormed through the FA Cup final today in dominant fashion. They made Arsenal irrelevant, uh, which is some of the best feelings that one might have as a, a Chelsea fan, Joe. And uh, it was just imperious. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Sam Kerr is quite good at football, isn't she? I mean, that's that's my main <laughs> takeaway here. I, I won't profess to being the uh, most knowledgeable about the women's team. I'm certainly learning more over the course of the seasons. But watching today, um, yeah, that front three, that's quite difficult to play against. Penelope Harder, Kerr, Kirby. I mean, yeah, they uh very, very special team. And I think Arsenal's approach, they, they're, well, it seemed to be a little bit kind of Bolton-esque back in the day, trying to sort of clog Chelsea off the pitch. Um, too good, uh, too well managed, too too well coached. And I think in, you know, obviously in Sam Kerr, somebody who I saw missed a, a pretty decent chance in the first half, but the the second goal that she, well, the second goal for Chelsea and then her second goal, which was, I mean, I'm in the sorry. context of a of an FA Cup final, absolutely absurd uh, to, to come clean through that amount of space and time and then pick out a, a chip like that. And it, it was great because it, it bounced perfectly. It was sort of very aesthetic as well as being incredible. So, yeah, I'm hoping that a few of the uh, the men's side are actually looking at her and, and actually realising that maybe this is how you you finish some opportunities as well. Because, uh, yeah, she's she's really, really good. But, yeah, it was a really, really, really cool day. Great to see. And, uh, yeah, I think as, as Nick mentioned pre-recording, Millie Bright is probably going to go and have some uh, some stitches after that celebration. Oh, yeah, the, the lid... You got to watch out for the lid, guys. Come on, you've done this before. But uh, a massive, massive amount of credit to Emma Hayes, who is just, I think, for all intents and purposes, Dan, one of the best managers in the world, uh, regardless of uh, of team uh, status or league. Yeah, uh, we've said this a few times before that it won't be surprising when a top league, you know, a, a top men's league comes after her and says, hey, we'd be interested in you coaching our team you you play some of the best football we see week in and week out perhaps you could do it at any level that you wanted to i I, she's not gonna leave chelsea anytime soon she has no reason to she's smashing it but um yeah it would not be a surprise if if you're looking at teams and going man our football sucks who plays really good football we will transition from um, Sam Kerr putting herself on Santa's naughty list with that chip to a little more <laughs> somber news in the fact that uh, we had previously planned, like many people, we made plans um, to go over to England to go see some Chelsea matches over this holiday season and see Chelsea hopefully beat Leeds and Everton um, with two situations. Uh, we've talked about it on the podcast, but uh Brandon's going to need a little time for his knee to uh, appropriately recover. He is not on the chili, yeah. the chili B train for uh, hopeful recovery. Um, 
And just out of abundance of concern with uh, the travel kind of regulations and restrictions going on right now, uh, you know, some of us, like uh, Nick and myself, have not been home for a family holiday this year or last year, rather. And, uh, you know, with some of the inbound and outbound requirements, uh, we just want to make sure that we stay safe, keep our families safe and get to spend the holidays with them. So uh, we made a tough decision. Uh, We're going to miss... seeing many people that we know are going to be over there and we're looking forward to seeing us. We've sent out uh, many messages to let people know that we're not going to be there, Nick, but uh, just sad times. And we also hope that uh, people are staying safe and just uh, understand why we're making the call. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I am as bummed as anybody. I was looking forward to this trip so much. I mean, London is magical this time of year and we were, I think all looking forward to, seeing all of our friends from the Chelsea fan cast and, and tweeds and, and Jesse from the, from the women's show that we do and a bunch of our friends who are over there. And it just, you know, we, we got the news last week of Omicron. We got the news of, of the travel restrictions, you know, Brandon decided that he only needed one knee, uh, which I think was an interesting <laughs> tactic from him. It's a bold move. Uh, yeah, it's a real, Real bold strategy from him, Cotton. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was just it's not the right thing to do. And you know we, uh, you know again as we messaged all of our friends over there, we were like, hey, you know, just abundance of caution. M- almost every message to a T was, yeah, that's sensible. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so we'll, you know we'll we'll be over hopefully in the spring uh, when when things calm down a little bit. And yeah, just hope that everyone stays safe this holiday season. We know that it's going to be a uh, bit of a bumpy road with with everything going on. So, bummer. All right. Well, again, uh, now we're going to talk about uh, a really fun match, Chelsea versus West Ham, <laughs> and uh, try to lift your spirits. Uh, we have uh, made a pact as a group. Uh, I'm actually just telling Joe and Nick this for the first time. So the <laughs> pact is that we will talk about uh, the getting hammered by the opposition we will talk, though, and transition to try to come up with relevant solutions to the problems facing Chelsea at hand. And then we'll go our regular day in the match, peek around the league and more. But we're going to get into some three-word match reviews first here. And then, Nick, uh, no, Brandon, so it means I give the responsibility over to you. Uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck is right for this week, man. Oof. Uh, Grizz with Why Wake Up. Uh, again, this was another early kickoff for for Chelsea fans in the States. Uh, Dan clocking in at 4.30 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Myself a little a little bit more on the 6.30 side, but either way, terrible to wake up to and be pissed off for the entire day. Luke, Luke G with Why Not Sleep. <clears throat> Aimed at you, Dan, I think that one, perhaps? Probably. That's uh, Millhouse with... Uh, fuck early games, which I think is correct and the only sensible solution to fix. Uh, YYC Lee with concern, not panicked. Okay, a little bit more sensible. Tana, our friend, uh, with fuck festive fixtures. Uh, alliteration for, for days. Uh, Rahul with despair, disappointment, December. You know, both of those are nice. And then Bruce Banner, uh, who I believe is uh, known as the Hulk, um, with stop hammer time. Uh, so maybe a little bit more Thor on the last one. Yeah. Uh, if you could tell by the tone of those, Dan, not great. Yeah, there were not, there's not a lot of positivity when you, uh, lose in such fashion, but, uh, we tried to, uh, maybe keep some of the more, more upset, uh, more nuclear reactions out of the uh, the top of the order. Uh, <laughs> I know, Nick, you have a, a plea in your three-word match review, which is a, a new one. Pleading for consistency. I am this up and down, left and right, play the best football, play the worst football. Terrible. I don't like it. Joe, where did you go? I went with history repeating itself because I'm oh, no. I'm positive that this is... Didn't we have this exact same result? Was it under Antonio Conte? William, they, they beat us 3-2, sort of last-minute random goal. Uh, Lampard. Lampard, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've, I've thrown Conte under the bus there. Yeah, it's uh, obviously my Lampard memories are so far away now. Um, but yeah, it it, it it felt like I was watching that game again, just with slightly different personnel. Um, yeah, as uh, as Nick alluded to there, the, the lack of consistency at the moment uh, and probably the, the kind of delta between how good we have looked and how bad we have looked 
again, you know, that that's always something that concerns me, that lack of consistency. You've got to bring your ceiling and your, sorry, you've got to bring the floor of your performance level up to a, a standard that makes these sorts of games a bit easier to navigate. And I think at the moment, the gap between how good we are and how bad we can be is for me still uh, still too great when we're, we're seeing performances like this uh, and also factor in Watford as well. Uh, it's not a puddle, it's more of a chasm there is what you're saying there, Joe. Yes, yeah, sadly, okay. yeah. Well, uh, we will uh, try to make sure we're not uh, found splunking then. And uh, I went with <laughs> fast forward to January. And if anyone was questioning, how do you get fast forward, which would be two words, you use the uh, old VCR acronym for it to uh, get it into through a match review approval. And um, for those for those wondering, splunking is cave diving and not the other thing that you were thinking about. So, bam. <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyway, a couple quick gratitudes, as it were, with uh, Biggie, DN, The Gang, Chunk, who's also Brad, who then also stole a United's fan phone uh, from the UK. <laughs> All-timer. Yes. Uh, Dane's wife, uh, Dane Gopal uh, from uh, Jamaica, and then uh, Barcel Brick from the U.S., all leaving wonderful five-star views and Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. It is the festive season, and one of the things you can always gift your friends to the London Blue Podcast is a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we also have seen tons of people leaving their um, – Tagging us in all of their Spotify wrapped yes. uh, end of the year pieces, which has been really nice to see. Uh, I know they're tagging Nick a lot exclusively. That feels weird. I don't know why that's happening, but there you go. The people uh, and- love me, Dan. The people love me. And by the way, I will uh, just the amount of minutes that people are listening to this podcast is Contact. absolutely yeah. insane. <laughs> the, there was one guy that clocked in with like 9,000 minutes or something like he was listening to old episodes last year, deep I think. Deep into the archives there. Like, just deep cuts for days. Send us those, because here's what we're going to do. For just, at you know, a little bit of random, a little bit of surprise and delight, we may send you a little a little gifty gift. So keep doing that, and we'll uh, we'll kind of decide what we want to do through the end of the a year on that. A small gifty gift, not like a big yeah. gifty gift, right? Yeah, not, I'm not bringing a $1,000 check to your house, but perhaps there's... <laughs> You know, some sort of like a T-shirt involved or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, and last thing, uh, since I'm back from work travel, uh, I will start sending out the Cyber Mendy T-shirt purchases that have occurred. So they are folded and ready to go here. Uh, that is my afternoon activity here on Sunday, so they can go out on Monday. But uh, we're gonna leave that code up, Cyber Mendy. Uh, it's uh, eleven bucks off, which uh, it would have gone up a buck uh, if <laughs> Mendy had kept another clean sheet. But that didn't happen. So sure uh, didn't. yeah. Uh, head over to our Twitter or our Instagram, and uh, you can find a link to the shirts. Dan, but, have we have we cursed him? Should we take it down and do some other code? For fuck's sake! Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, match details. We're getting into it. It was what we can't avoid it anymore. It was West Ham. Uh, it was this past Saturday, the fourth of December, in the Premier League at the London Stadium. The scoreline, shockingly, West Ham three, Chelsea two. How? We're going to get into it. But the goals came from Thiago Silva, Manolo Zini on a crazy penalty. Mason Mount with a beautiful volley. Jared Bowen and Masuaka with some goals. Anyway, uh, here's Fist Sand Highlights. It comes once more and the header by Thiago Silva's in. Chelsea take the lead. And it's West Ham who are undone by a set piece. Brilliant header by Thiago Silva. Mariner had indicated for a corner there, not realizing that Mikhail Antonio had actually kept it alive. Suchek trying to get on the end of it. It won't sit down quickly enough, will it, for Sufal? Smart stop. Now Declan Rice with the header. Perhaps thought he could loop it over Mendy. I think it's going all the way through, and Thiago Silva gets back on the line and clears it away. What a clearance. It's a really good right now. Poor ball back, and Bowen was almost in. Mendy trying to get it away. Must be a penalty. Penalty nice awarded. It's a brilliant penalty. And West Ham have drawn level with a goal that was so, so avoidable for Chelsea. Ruben Loftus-Cheek lifts it left, finding Ziyech, strikes the left arm of Soufal, but Andre Mariner allows play to continue. Great ball out to the far side, and Chelsea back in front in fabulous fashion. Mason Mount with a spectacular goal. What a response from Thomas Tuchel's team. Antonio just drops off and then 
Looks to burst beyond Thiago Silva. The ball comes his way. Good header by Thiago Silva. Soufal battling away. Bowen with the chance to strike. Brilliant goal from Jared Bowen. He is a player who is getting better and better for West Ham United. He's lively now, Antonio. He fancies his chances, doesn't he? Getting the winning goal. Masawaku deflected and oh. it's in. Chelsea beaten at the London Stadium. Full-time, West Ham United 3, Chelsea 2. Okay, Nicholas, uh, run us through that lineup before we get some stats and XG. Yeah, I, I feel like saying world's best goalkeeper, Edouard Mendy, is a little a little tough this week, but I've already said it, so let's keep going. Uh Antonio Rudiger, Christensen, and Silva make up the back three. Uh, Mark Alonso and Reese James were your wingbacks with Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek by default being your midfield because uh, Saul is not really an option right now. Uh, Mason Mount, Hakim Ziyech, and Kai Havertz made up the front three. Subs of Caparitha Balaga, Mlongsar, Cesar Spilicueta, Ross Barkley making the bench. What's up, Ross? Saul Niguez and Timo Werner with... Subs from uh, Calum Hudson-Odoi, Romelu Lukaku at halftime for an injured Havertz and a a small sighting from Christian Pulisic in the 72nd minute. Quite the cameo for Christian there. And it was a mesh stats top line. 63.8% possession for Chelsea to West Ham's 36.2. Five, uh, five shots for them on target to our seven. We had 19 total shots to their 11 uh, 759 touches there, 511. Uh, 588 passes there, 335. They had 13 tackles to our six, 27 clearances uh, to our nine. Our, we had nine corners, nine, nine corners to their one. We had one offsides to their three. We had three yellow cards to their one, and we both conceded 10 fouls apiece. Uh, the XG from Kelly underscore graphics with a rough XG sum of 1.1 plus one penalty to 1.2. Uh, again, Joe, the total scoreline of 3-2-2. So uh, neither team excelling in the XG uh, market in this game. But, you know, that's uh, that's kind of how this crazy thing went down. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's... I felt like it was a strange game watching it. Um, first... I think maybe even up until the goal, I thought Chelsea were, were very much in control of the of the match. Um, didn't necessarily seem to be creating what I would consider to be sort of very high quality chances, but there were definitely opportunities, I think, for us to, to score earlier than we did. Um, but the I think the game, and I know we'll sort of talk about it in a bit more detail, but I think the game turned on the Jorginho, uh, Jorginho and, uh, and Mendy moment of, of madness let's let's call it that um I'm, i think and um, you know maybe this is sort of hindsight and wishful thinking but had we had we managed to get to half time at uh at one nil i have a feeling the second half might have gone a tiny bit differently but um them scoring i don't know there was just something about the the, the way that they scored the goal the sort of moments that led up to it that, to me that suggested that we weren't necessarily completely at the at the races so uh, yeah i think the xg probably seemed a fairish reflection of the game um i don't remember too many big chances for chelsea in the second half but again it could be that i have forced those out of my mind already and, and have kind of ignored the rest of uh, the the narrative surrounding the game but it probably sounds about right i think we had some good chances first half but second half um yeah, not not a, a huge amount really to to sing about from from our perspective. And then one random stat from Opera Joe fifty four. Chelsea have made four changes to their starting eleven today, bringing their total to fifty four fifty four in the Premier League this season. Only Manchester United in their two thousand one to two thousand two campaign have ever made more at this stage in the Premier League. Sixty five in the first fifteen games for them. Tinker and uh, a lot of that's injury related, but you know that's uh, kind of how it goes. Nick Fellaini, is there a sh- shit house moment of the match, or is it just uh, is that on is that canceled anytime we lose? I mean, it would be Masawaku miss hitting a cross so badly that it went into the goal, but um, no, when, when you lose like we did yesterday, you don't you don't get this stat. Okay, well that's that's fair. There is no day in the match that uh, that 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 tracks. But Joe Tweez, there is an an XB. There is an expected body <laughs> that you wanted to include in here. Yeah, there was a. I think it might have been second half. There was a moment where Declan Rice, what I felt had a, a pretty good game for West Ham, broke through midfield, and I think Reese James just got annoyed at him. Um, and they went shoulder to shoulder. It was the first time, really, that I think anyone had actually put any kind of physical pressure on Rice in the game. 
And uh, it wasn't so much as it was maybe like a, a 0.5 score, maybe then the, the, the sort of the ones that were used to to associate with Reese. But he won that physical challenge really uh, well, very, very dominant in terms of how he won that. So I'd probably give him a half a half XP for that. But it wasn't one of those games where there were many, uh, many moments for us to, to collect XPs, unfortunately. And obviously, we know that this is the new trending stat in world football at the moment. It is. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing how uh, Opta Joe uses it in uh, upcoming tweets. We're going to take uh, our very, very quick ad break here. We're going to thank these sponsors for financially supporting the show. And then we're just going to talk about the match at hand, how we got hammered by the opposition, and then what are some creative solutions that we think Tuchel could employ given the injury crisis, the mounting injury crisis that we have at Chelsea at the moment through the holiday fixture list. But we will take that break and be right back. All right, we're coming back, and just a quick reminder, uh, no new people on Patreon, but I, I really didn't check, so there might be. So, uh, yeah, get, get, get joining us on there. We had a lot of fun uh, celebrating the women's win today, so that was uh, quite a way to lift spirits over a, a dour Saturday match. And then, Nick, we've got more pods coming out this week, uh, at least two, maybe more. Yeah, I mean, as you know, we like to produce a fair amount of podcasts per week, Um you are going to want to tune in for, for Tuesday's episode. Uh, Jesse and Abdul are going to absolutely smash the FA Cup final review. Uh, Jesse was at the game today, so she's uh, extra, extra, extra pumped uh, and was very nervous heading into this game, so I'm happy that her mental health is, is better now. Uh, and then we're back in the Champions League this week, so we'll have a review against Zenit and you know I'm sure some other stuff that will come up as well. So... You know, just get involved. There's a lot to listen to and uh, just help us push towards the end of the year. Well, uh, part of that push to the end of the year is finishing this podcast episode. So we're going to get right on that here with hammering, getting hammered rather by the opposition. Chelsea couldn't get it done on the day despite opportunities to do so. There were a lot of crazy moments in this match. Joe kind of talked about it as the, the moments of madness. Uh, it'll be the uh, the next Doctor Strange movie probably. Um, but anyway, there was uh, Jorginho and the Mendy error for the penalty. There was Bowen just playing absurdly well on the counter and the uh, the craziest Schross that we've ever seen potentially generating a, a match winner in the uh, the dying moments of the match. But uh, I also want to kind of maybe just start and set a little bit of a stage that this is also a very good West Ham team, like in general, like they are not mid-table. They are not fighting relegation. They are a top side in the Premier League. And the end of last season, basically through now, they have remained that way. The stat from Squawka being that Chelsea or West Ham have now beaten Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham this season. They've also knocked both Manchester sides out of the League Cup. So credit where credit is due, Nick. Like this is not bad opposition. The result, I think, just is not was not good even against good opposition. No, I mean, look. West Ham are a difficult matchup for a lot of teams. They have the strength and physicality that you'd expect of a team that, you know, has historically fought mid-table battles. And they have increasing skill and offensive flow that they're gaining, you know, every match, it seems like, through the addition of some key players. And, uh, you know, I think just a better system from Moyes. And so... You do have to give them credit because they are playing good football and they are uh, certainly not, you know, the West Ham that a lot of us grew up watching. But at the same point, if you look at Chelsea, Chelsea's pace of play in this game, Joe, like I think I think where my first problem was is, again, again, it's against Watford uh, and certainly against United last week. We just seem frantic. We don't seem in control. And. I think that just leads to a lot of uncertainty between players and, and passing movements. And, you know, obviously we were error prone today. And you know, I think that franticness, you know, the, the pace of, of the match really contributed to that. Yeah. Um, I think there are, there are two aspects here, Nick, which I think certainly contribute to the, let's say the lack of control that we've seen certainly over the past two games. Um, you have, I think there are certain aspects that the system that Tuka was played now has been studied and is being studied sort of intensely by opposition managers. Um, this isn't to say we've been found out or anything to that sort of level of, of sort of negativity. However, 
Antonio Conte, the second half of the title winning season, teams started to figure out the system a bit more, and particularly in that second season as well. Um, the adjustments were being made, certainly to how Chelsea build up play and, and sort of the patterns of play they were using to move the ball up the pitch. I think certainly now there is a there is a, a way or methodology of of playing Chelsea, and you can see both Watford and West Ham. Um, it's about intensely pressing Chelsea's midfield, um, and probably I would say an N'Golo Kante last midfield. It's very difficult for, for teams to maybe get around Kante, but when you apply um, the sort of pressure and and the the, the sort of level of physicality we're seeing against this this current sort of iteration of Chelsea's uh, double six. It makes it very difficult for Chelsea to progress up the pitch. Obviously, as well, um, I think the, the drop from people like Ben Chirwell to Marcus Alonso um, and, and just generally, I would say that first choice, 11, 12, maybe 13 players, the drop from those and, and maybe the, also the, the style of players that, re, that we replaced them with, I don't think they are conducive to the football that we were starting to see played under, under Tuchel. So you have, I think, again, elements that... Teams have have more match footage. They have a better understanding of how this Chelsea side plays. Um, we're starting to see teams again um, get in and around Jorginho and put him under pressure and and, and be physical with him, which has um, stopped him from from playing well in the past. Um, Chelsea really are not as dynamic without Ben Chilwell on the pitch, and, and that was also the extent with I think when uh, Aspilicueta was playing instead of Rhys James. Um, and then I, I think again you're looking at sort of maybe some of the, the security of the system and maybe some of the individual performance levels that we're used to. And I'm looking primarily at somebody like Antonio Rudiger, who I think has dipped a fair bit in the past couple of games, um, mm -hmm. and Andreas Christensen as well. I think Antonio really, really made a point to, to pull on to Christensen as much as possible and use his physicality, use his experience to, to really give Christensen a bit of a torrid time. Um, whether that is linked to the contractual situations or not, um, I think, again, we might speak about Bowen in a bit more detail, but I think Bowen really played Antonio Rudiger about as well as I've seen anyone play against him. You know, movement in behind, movement in front of him, um, pulling him into areas that meant he was way out of position at times and and, and seemed confused, particularly for the the second uh, the second West Ham goal. I think Rudiger, you know, a lazy flick of the leg to try and block a pass and, and maybe wasn't quite aware. Um, so these kind of small dips in... I don't know if they're small dips in form or whether players, you know, they've been they've been playing at somewhat maybe unsustainable levels and they're sort of regressing a bit to their sort of more their kind of week to week standard that we're used to in their Chelsea careers. But you factor that with the injuries, with maybe teams getting a bit more of a clue on on this Tuchel system. Um, unless we are completely at the races, then I think we will see a few more performances like this going forward. Um, you know, it's about obviously trying to get the best players we have available, fit, ready and, and and able to play every single week. But the problem that we have is that, you know, with people like Kante, for example, I think is his criticality to this Chelsea side is being shown more and more in his absence, just how how big a presence he is for us. Um, we don't yeah. have a, a replacement for him. Um, and again, as I say, the thing that Chelsea will have to look at is when we are losing players, the guys we're bringing in, yes, you, you're not always expecting your, you know, your backup to be as good, but stylistically, they're so different that I think it makes any sort of continuity about play style also very challenging as well. You know, when you take a look at the minutes played, because I, I think that's one that I want to key on a little bit from what you said there, Joe, J across all competitions, uh, it may not surprise you. Uh, that this season that Antonio Rudiger is actually played uh, two minutes more than Edouard Mendy, who's uh, the second highest up there. But 1,830 minutes, uh, Mendy with 1,828. The next closest being Jorginho at 1,455. So, you know, I think the Rudiger one that you kind of pinned in on, I think it's probably twofold, right? Like he is the most central and undroppable player in Tuchel's mind, clearly from the, that no one else can yep. do that left center back job. But I think secondarily, the lack of uh, Chilwell's athleticism, his ability to come back in and help kind of close down. You know, I think that whole left side battle with Bowen is completely different if you have uh, Chilwell in there to combat against him. But the sustainability of this feels very unfortunate and, yeah, I hadn't really kind of thought about Joe's point there, Nick, on the kind of stylistic differences of the backups, but that's a really good call out too in terms of the the change from a Chilwell to an Alonso, the change from a Jorginho and Kova, Jorginho and Conte pairing to a Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek is just miles different from the original. 
Well, yeah, I mean, even think about last year when Alonzo, you know, started over Chilwell, you know, when Tuchel first came in, right? That was a much different style of football than the the kind of more high-octane Chilwell version, you know, at left back, which I think, you know, as much as I love N'Golo Conte, I think that, you know, the probably the person we're missing right now the most is Chilwell. Yeah. Um, and... And I think, you know, that's just because the midfield has a little bit more depth uh, in, in it typically. But we were playing a little bit more reserved from a wingback perspective. You know, as much as Alonzo loves a goal and he loves to get forward, he wasn't doing one million runs up and down touchline to touchline last year. He was playing a little bit more of a reserve role. And then Rudiger was able to back him up more effectively because he was closer uh, in in that space. And so... You, you really saw him get up to, you know, halfway line, pass the ball, maybe advance, maybe go back, and, and it wasn't as aggressive. And then you, you look at, you know, what Reese has been doing this year, which has basically been playing as right forward uh, for most of the season. And if you if you know that you have an overload and, and teams are going to try and, uh, you know, kind of overwhelm, you know, the, the Rudiger-Alonzo pairing, then by nature you have to – kind of back Reese down and shift over to, to make that uh, to make that connection and to, I guess, back up, you know, Rudiger. Right. So it does change the entire way that we play. And, you know, in addition to that, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a different midfielder to Mateo Kovacic, who's a different midfielder to Jorginho, who's a, you know, way different midfielder to N'Golo Conte. And, you know, I don't think that Jorginho and Ruben have been bad together, but I also don't think they've been nearly as dynamic as N'Golo and Ruben or N'Golo and Jorginho or Jorginho and Kovacic. Like, you know, I think it's probably the fourth best version of what our midfield can be. So, you know, all of this matters and it, and it does impact the way that we're defending. Like, I mean, for Chelsea to give up three goals in a two goal game is almost unheard of. It's only the the third time that, that we've given up more than two goals in a game, so something's dramatically wrong, you know, in in the balance of the squad, Dan, and like that's where my my brain was yesterday. Where are the adjustments coming from? And if we know that our personnel isn't going to be ideal for probably the rest of the season, Chilwell. What are we doing to overcome that? Yeah, uh, before we kind of get into the solutions, the problem, because again, we promised people that we would find solutions a path oriented. forward, that we would that we would work through the darkness of the forest and come out the other side, uh, uh, maybe a little worse for wear, but not completely terrible. Is that uh, I was also looking at the match stats from the start of the season to now, and for all the matches where they do calculate XG, which is uh, Premier League matches and uh, Champions League, uh, this is the first match since Brentford where the opposition actually came out with a better expected goal that, rate than Chelsea did. And actually, I look back at the Brentford one where it was 0. 0.3 for us. Um, which we stole a result in that game as well. Uh, we did not come mm-hmm. away stealing a result in this fixture, though, uh, with the defensive solidity just falling apart uh, a touch. And, you know, I, I think, Joe, the the point about, you know, some of those errors, you know, uh, we've I actually think we've played pretty, in a lot of games, you know, error-free football up until this point. And I think the minutes are now producing a situation where we aren't able to rotate the lack of players. We're not able to rotate as much. And so are, are you concerned? Do you feel like we are in a run where we might see more of those over the short term as we wait for the fitness levels to improve again? Yeah. And I think if we, if we're looking specifically at sort of key areas, um, I know after the game that uh, Tuchel mentioned that I think Jorginho has been playing with a hip injury and the fact that he has to play, Ahead of, you know, uh, Sal, who, I mean, again, I, I completely agree that, that anyone really should be playing ahead of him. But, you know, it kind of goes back to sort of the planning situation. I, I remember seeing a lot of people saying that, you know, four midfielders into two spots was more than enough. Um, I sort of fundamentally kind of disagree it, with it that. Was. Given <laughs> it, it was. It was, yeah, until, you know... you know, the, the, the sort of the sustained injuries that we have in that particular area. But, um, yeah, I mean... It, it, I kind of envisage that this this sort of performance level, um, to say, I mean, first half, it was very much in control, but certainly lacked the dynamism and probably the 
the the clinical edge that we needed to maybe take the the second goal and to maybe again not not concede that that first goal. Um, but if we have if we're having to play players who are clearly injured, um, players who are not playing well, players who are out of form, players who maybe traditionally are sort of de facto starters. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned about the number of minutes. I'm concerned a little bit about uh, not I wouldn't say the lack of rotation, but it, it's more of a question of who rotates in. Um, you know, is is Alonso now your starter for the rest of the season? What sort of confidence level does that inspire? How do you then change the system to account for the fact that he is, I wouldn't say diametrically opposed to Ben Chilwell, but he's incredibly different in terms of how he plays that role and how Ben Chilwell was playing it. Um, you know, if we're going to play Kante once a week or, you know, twice a week or whatever that, that level is that he now has to, to play to remain fit, um, there's so many questions that are coming out of this period for me in terms of how we manage the rest of the season. Um, but it's it's tricky really to gauge because you look at somebody, let's say like Liverpool, who pretty much play a fairly consistent starting eleven. Uh, you know, they don't seem, seem to get injuries to, to key players, obviously beyond freak injuries like what happened to Virgil van Dijk. Salah plays regularly, you know, uh, Mario uh, Sadio Mane plays, plays regularly. Firmino rotates with, with Jota and the midfield ten, tends to be quite similar. Um, but yeah, it, it seems to be an issue for us where we have uh, both fit, like players who are quite clearly heavily fatigued, players who are carrying injuries, um, but they're in crucial and critical areas of the pitch. So it's very difficult to to say, okay, Jorginho is going to rest for the next two, three games and we're quite comfortable that we're going to play Sal Negres in there with, with Ruben. Um, you know, I think Ruben has played well with Kova, he's played well with Kante, but I think him and Jorginho are just a touch too far apart in terms of their play styles for them to really mesh and be defensively solid and cover the amount of ground and, and be that shield that we've seen the back three have. So yeah, it's 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 definitely a slight concern. I'm, I'm interested in slightly intrigued to, as to how they're going to tackle this. Um, but I think, as you say, in terms of the the minutes and, and how people are playing and sort of the little bit of dip, dip in form of performance level we've seen, um, you look in the squad at the moment and there's not an enormous amount of, of, of obvious solutions, let's say, in terms of how to how to correct this going forward. Well, I mean, it's also just like some bad luck, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, I think I think it's totally fair to criticize this performance because it was really bad. And as you said, the second half was abysmal. There was no energy or fight. We looked kind of knocked out kind of from the minute that we stepped back onto the pitch for the second half. And that's just not acceptable. But I mean, give me a fucking break with the Masuaku finish. I mean, you know, I don't know if that happens to other teams in the league. I, I try and watch as much football as I can. It feels like it happens to us a lot that, you know, freak stuff like that happens. And then again, Jorginho and Mendy need to get on the same page. This is not the first time that this kind of freak thing has happened. Jorginho, terrible back pass, not for the first time this season either. And Mendy just needs to clear it the fuck out of the stadium. Like th these are, these are simple things that, that are, are sometimes bad luck, but just really, really stupid errors for a team that has won the champions league and have now been playing this way for about a calendar year it just feels like a regression to me, Dan, that like bad luck, stupidity. I don't, I don't know what it is. It just isn't, it's not acceptable. And I'm sure Tuchel is going to just be hammering into him for stuff like that. Cause again, you, you control the game until that point and then it's free for all. Uh, just to maybe capitalize on your unlucky point of the conversation there. When we talk about, contribution of players over minutes just for the Premier League because you know I think the, we're looking this is a Premier League match we're obviously looking at the results of Liverpool and you know getting one at the death this weekend and uh, City getting their opportunity to beat up on relegation fodder uh, just you know collect you know putting their goals in collecting their three-point ticket um, Chelsea only have two players over a thousand minutes in terms of total contribution in the Premier League. You switch to Manchester City, it's one, two, three, four, five, six players. Six players who have gotten over a thousand minutes so far this season. When you go to Liverpool, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven players. And so when you think about your starting 11, and you think about the ability to build some consistency, you know, look, th this might have far reaching implications. They might be at the tail end of the season. Being like, oh my gosh, you know, we're not fit, we're not healthy because our players are now running to the ground. Like there's no tread left of the tire. 
um, which might be a great reversal of fortune, great little Uno mm. reverse there. But that is why I think you're starting to see a little bit of the ascension at the moment right now with City and Liverpool and why you're seeing this situation in Chelsea is that, you know, we are just not a fit side right now. Like we, we you know, I, I think there are, there's fair criticisms of Tuchel for kind of maybe putting Callum at a left wing back position and putting Christian Pulisic first, like up front. I, I Maybe that wasn't the right kind of call because uh, Callum seemed to be looking good in the, in like a forward kind of attacking role. Um, but I also think some of it's, you know, trying to come together, Joe, with like what is the best available option. And sometimes the best available option is, you know, a choice between bad situation one and less bad situation two. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting point that you've made around the, um, the the minutes that have been played there. I mean, that that was kind of sort of my understanding with, without looking at the data that Liverpool have a fairly consistent starting eleven when it comes to Premier League games, and I would have said the same for Manchester City. I think the question that I would ask both of you is: Do you think Thomas Tuchel knows what that best eleven is? And if we're taking into account form and fitness, obviously that is also causing a, a significant impact on his team selections, but. I would wager if, you know, even if he had a, a fairly fit uh, squad, that that ability to maybe pick a, a uh, an 11 that suits the style of play that we've seen in some games this season, I don't know how, uh, how confident I'd be that we would still be in a similar position where we're seeing a number of players start uh, start regularly. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, as you say, to, to particularly Liverpool. I just think that they, they always seem to have a very consistent um, starting eleven, and, and, you know, the fatigue and, and however Klopp and, and their team are doing sports science and managing their workload is clearly working. Um, but when it comes to sort of Chelsea, I, I'm just curious sometimes as to how much the, the sort of the chopping and the changing is also affecting sort of the general rhythm of the team. Um, when we went on that little run of games where we started playing really, really well, fairly consistent team selection, fairly consistent passes of play, fairly consistent in terms of the style of players in the particular roles. I think when we depart from that, uh, kind of to the point made earlier, that we have so many players who are still, in, in terms of the squad and the way it's composed, used to different systems and have quite sort of varying strengths and weaknesses, that I think it's, at times that consistency is is quite difficult to manage without having the, you know, Tuchel's best 11 or 12, 13 players, whatever it might be, at his disposal quite regularly. So solutions are problems. We'll try to come up with some here. Uh, we, we, we may have painted ourselves into a corner, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> the injuries by position, just kind of laying out where we are as it stands right now. Uh, thankfully, uh, goalkeeper are, you know, are, are healthy, um, maybe not in the best form, but healthy. We have uh, Chaloba from a center back position who uh, you know, obviously is being assessed. We have Chilwell. Uh, now potentially Alonso with a back situation after this match. Uh, Reese James just coming back off of an injury. Uh, we've had Azpilicueta out for some time with the shoulder situation, but he's uh, gotten minutes again. We have Conte, Kovacic, uh, Jorginho now with a hip situation. Uh, Mount, if we count him as a midfielder slash uh, forward kind of hybrid, uh, just coming back. And then Havertz, new injury. Lukaku just coming back from injury. Werner out with an injury, uh, but trying to work his way back in. Like, this is not a super healthy side. And so what do you have? A, you, you, have an, of- you have an injured starting 11 there. Like, I mean, that's that's essentially what that is. Like, and again, it's not to say that any team has a fully fit, ready to rock squad right now. Right. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that we have more injuries than any other team in the league. And like, that's a that's bad news bears for Chelsea's medical team. And for the way that we're playing. Yeah. Fair? Maybe West Ham's back line is probably the only other place where the injury uh, problem is as steep. Um, creative solutions that we might think about. Um, you know, Nick, there was one I was trying to figure out, like front threes, back threes, recalls, winter signings. I mean, the, the one that jumped to mind for me is do you maybe try a situation where it's like a... Callum, Lukaku, Ziesh, and then like a Mount Jorginho pairing for the moment to try to do something different in your midfield situation to add a little bit more of that press resistant type of play that we don't have right now with Conte kind of being in there. You give Jorginho a little bit more of a release valve. Uh, that that was mine. I don't know if you have a different one or how you feel about that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I was thinking about this when we when we were kind of reviewing the script a little bit, and I think well, there was something a little interesting that happened in the second half. I am not claiming that Christian Pulisic had a great impact on proceedings yesterday because he did not. Um, but I do think uh, one of the things that I found uh, that, that Chelsea tried to do in the second half, Joe, was they it seemed like they went to a kind of uh, three, four, one, two, uh, near the end of the game where Lukaku, mm. uh, had a partner up top and then Pulisic had dropped pretty deep to receive the ball from Jorginho and from, and from Ruben and was interchanging a little bit more in that, you know, kind of number 10 role ish, whatever, more of a traditional number 10 where he was central. Um, and I think that is where he is going to find, you know, the most joy where Mason Mount could potentially find the most joy, uh, because, what West Ham did yesterday is what Watford tried to do to, you know, some effect and what we've seen Brentford and a bunch of other teams do this season, which is keep your back four basically in front of goal, like a pure wall all the time and make Chelsea do something special around that, right? Really pack it in. And if you give Pulisic or Mount or even Ziyech, you know, who's been playing better as of, as of late, a little bit more room to run at players, to pull their defense out, to make them close down space. I think personally that we still have enough quality in our wing backs, especially dominating with 64% of possession yesterday, uh, to to have enough on the outside to make that a real threat. And I think, look, we got to get Lukaku scoring flat out. I mean, you're, you're probably going to go into that at some point uh, in depth here, but I think that is a way to create more centrally. If you are not, if you don't have your best midfield to, you know, available. So gives Jorginho a little bit of a quicker pass, you know, where he's not waiting around for someone to drop deep and it gives someone like Ruben the ability to pass and move. And I think, uh, what the Ruben I saw yesterday was a far better Ruben than the, the one we saw at Watford, but I think he's still trying to figure out what his best role is in a midfield pivot, when to get forward, when to stay back, when to make the pass out wide, when to make it short. Like I think he still has a little bit of work to do. And so that is just one solution that I saw Chelsea try. And I think it, you know, if they if they go to that system over the next six or seven games, I think there could be some joy there. So rant over. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I actually echo a lot of that there, Nick. Um, I probably, off the top of my head, I can think of maybe three things that, that, that they certainly need to look at. Um, I am proposing somewhat of a bit of a radical departure in terms of personnel from what we're selecting. Um, I would like to see, certainly against teams that are, are going, I think I actually say, teams are getting comfortable again trying to sit back against us. And I don't always like that sort of very patient and deliberate style that we have. Um, sometimes isn't there. You're, you're looking for a, a real piece of magic to unlock defences rather than maybe sort of the kind of sustained pressure that we see a team like City or Liverpool have. Um, I would like to see, because I, I think dynamism out wide is key, is um, Christian and Callum actually at wing-backs. And my big plan is to actually push Reese into midfield for, on a temporary basis. And the reason I say that first and foremost is that I think when he played there for Wigan, he was exceptional at the back end of his championship loan. But yesterday I saw uh, a team that, that wasn't comfortable defending in space that did, I think lost the, the physical battle with Rice and, and uh, is it Suchek, the, the guy who plays with him in midfield. I think that they they lost that physical element in midfield. And I think Reese has the, obviously has the technical quality to play there, but his physicality, his range of passing. But I think just as a defensive cover as well, I think he would be a little bit of a an interesting prospect in there. So you have... Um, two very wingery wing-backs in Callum and, and Christian, uh, Reese and, and potentially Jorginho or Ruben sort of in there as kind of a bit more of a defensive solidity. Um, and then go with, I don't know if Havertz is going to be fit, but, uh, you know, Mount, uh, Ziyech, uh, Lukaku, Havertz, whoever, whoever your combination of forwards might be. But just to inject a little bit of dynamism out wide, because I am worried that if we see Azpilicueta, um, if, or again, Reese will probably continue wing-back, but if Azpilicueta comes back into the team and Alonso, that for me, that really does sort of stymie Chelsea's ability to, to get forward. So a little bit of a radical uh, personnel change, I think, the first thing. And, you know, the the second thing, really, again, to, to Nick's point, Thomas Tuchel has to figure out how to get Romelu Lukaku 
playing in this team. And I certainly take the point that I think at the moment Lukaku looks unfit, that he has, I think, completed, or he might not have completed a, a 90 minutes in, in two to three months in terms of playing. Um, mm. But the way that, that we have used him as this sort of very overpriced uh, lamppost, he's just like in a very expensive Olivier Giroud. Um, you're, you're not going to get the best out of him like that. And I think, again, as much as it pains me to say it, and it is very a very early assessment, but I do think that Chelsea would need to quite almost radically change how they build build play up and how they are in possession to get the best out of him. There was one opportunity that he had yesterday which came from a very quick pass in Rudiger, which he failed to control. But those very quick passes, rather than sort of the deliberate stuff and then getting into the final third and looking for, for combination play, that direct pass, that ability to play him in and, and, and almost just one or two passes to get the ball to him, I think you have a lot more joy or you're going to get him more involved. So Tuchel has to figure out the dynamic because... If, if he doesn't fit the system and he doesn't fit how Chelsea play um, and, and maybe we don't play as well with him in, in the current uh, game model that Tuchel has, then that's something that we need to address as a, as a club because you've just invested £100 million into a guy who I think arguably and, and probably you know externally has been brought in to, to spearhead a, a title-winning campaign. But at the moment, you're asking a very specific player to play the role which is almost antithetical to how he actually plays football. He's not a drop-deep link player he's not somebody who's going to drop into pockets and 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 play like a Kai Havertz play like a number 10 in that particular role he wants to get in behind you know he wants to to, to have contact he wants to be a player that has space to, to run into all of well not all of his success but a lot of his success at Inter came on on counter-attacking situations and we rarely counter-attack at pace it's reclaim the ball get possession establish establish that passing pattern in the game get control um, and then sort of progress the play at the pitch I think we need to adopt a slightly more direct style of play um, and last one, which is a simple one, which is come January, that they they need to invest. Um, if Chelsea have serious designs on winning the title this season, I don't think that they will be able to do that with the current options they have in midfield. I think the Sal experiment has has spectacularly backfired and, and failed in many respects. Um, and they probably need to go and find an Angolo Kante or that you know whoever the succession plan is going to be for for him, whether that is somebody like Aurelien Schoemeni or somebody of that sort of quality or caliber. I think they need to make a significant investment in the midfield area because without Kante's profile or a Kante-like or Kante-like player, I don't see the same level of quality in this team consistently over a period of time. Um, and then the left wing back position as well. You know, I'm not sure if Ian Matson is absolutely ready to come back and be a starter, whether he would come back yeah. and be a rotation player. Um, but again, to me, it's very clear that the the progression we were making with Ben Chilwell there, you have to find someone stylistically similar. Otherwise, again, you're going to have to play a lot more conservative and a lot more, you know, kind of towards Alonso's strengths, which are absolutely not the same as, as Chilwell. So three options there, radical departure in terms of personnel, um, potentially, as I said, in terms of figuring out the Lukaku situation. Then I do, do believe that they will need to invest in, in January. We have shown that we will invest there in the past. I think that they need to go and find somebody, particularly in, in central midfield areas, to give a, a, a well, a Kante a rest, but also to, to potentially get the succession plan there and the left wing back. Yeah, so I was looking at the wing back thing because I think that is the area of most concern. You know, I think you can, if you're Chelsea, you could probably rationalize not buying a midfielder in January yeah. if, you, if you get any combination of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante healthy. And just rotate them with Ruben. Like I think you're probably still okay there. Now, if there's a long-term injury, then of course reconsider, right? But the left wing back position is is the one because like do the thought exercise with me. I don't think Ben Chilwell's coming back this year. Okay. So just you know, I think an ACL is just really, really, really hard to come back from. Our own Brandon Busby is going to show us the recovery path for that over the next uh few months. And by few we mean ten. Uh, and so that is just put that out of your brain. Uh, I'm looking at our two wingbacks that are on loan, uh, left wingbacks, and that is Emerson Palmieri, who's playing at Lyon right now, and Ian Motson. Ian Motson at Coventry is having a really, really, really good loan. 19 matches played, 19 starts, 1,500 minutes already this season, a goal and an assist, uh, a goal from a PK. I mean, he is... Now, look, he has six cards so far this year as well, so he's a little naughty, like that. but that's we all like right. That. Just very Chelsea of him. Thank you. Uh, and, and I think he's having a great loan. Uh, Emerson Palmieri is is also playing a fair amount. 12 starts, uh, about 1,000 minutes, a goal and an assist, uh, and a goal from a 
PK as well, like very similar statistics, a couple less starts. If it were me and I was Chelsea and I was thinking about a player's development, right, in Ian Motson, I bring back Emerson Palmieri in January. Not because I think that he is going to solve every ill that we have, but he is a far more athletic and potentially even more progressive type of wingback, more similar to Chilwell than Alonzo is, right? And I think you could stylistically play a little bit more similar to the way that we played against Juventus or uh, Leicester City if you have an Emerson in the team uh, than than you can right now because Alonzo is going to need time to get back fully fit and all this other stuff. So if I'm looking at those two options, Dan, that's my answer to the left wing back conundrum as it stands today without signing a net new player. Look, I, I know it's uh, probably the, the nuclear option, but I would find any, I would hire any lawyer who could help uh, get us out of Connor Gallagher's loan and bring him back into this side uh, <laughs> immediately. Um, you talk about like the lack of, of dynamism in the midfield, the lack of kind of fight. Uh, I, I like the, hey, let's pivot Reese into like that defensive mid, mid position. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think the expected body stat is going to increase dramatically if that happens. Um, 100%, yeah. But I also do worry about like the the idea of the attacking on the right. Um, you know, I think we've seen with it, you know, Aspi and that kind of role, um, which I imagine would be, if we saw Reese go into mid, you probably would see Asby go out right. It would just be my guess um, on how Tuchel would respond. That you would lose a little bit of that attacking thrust that we have with Reese when we have Reese in the side. So my my that would be what I would do. But that, I know that's crazy and probably not possible. So um, I will uh, I will allow that idea to live in fantasy land. But the the Shuameni Monaco's in ninth right now. Um, Ooh. So. Mm. Is there potentially now a situation where they're concerned about how they're going to finish? Would they want to sell uh, a player that they value in the middle of the season? I mean, Chelsea could always make a, you know, a, an offer that you can't refuse type of situation there, Nick. And ultimately, it's there are paths for Chelsea to solve this problem. It's just which one, and really, most of the options are not available until January. So, like, we are going to go through the rest of the December basically band-aiding where we can yeah who Chelsea really need Declan Rice that's who we really need I mean if you want to just be blunt about it and and I have been in the past this guy is unbelievable uh you saw him absolutely shine yesterday he shined all season he is their best player by a country mile and if you look at the way that Chelsea are currently playing football there is no better central midfield solution than Declan Rice the the man is an absolute weapon all over the field and it just seems to be getting better and better. Uh, he's not a available solution, uh, certainly until maybe summer. And then who knows even if that's even going to happen. Right. So uh, I am, I'm a little disappointed about the lack of Declan Rice in this team, frankly, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's going to have to be, as we're saying here, if we're, if we're looking at this pragmatically and we're not, throwing our, our toys out on the pram or anything like that, right? It's going to have to be some combination of personnel and some combination of the way that Tuchel sets up the team to move forward. You'll notice that none of our comments are talking about the back three or the goalkeeper. You know, despite yesterday's absurd performance from both of those groups, that set of the squad is is ready to go. Like, they're, they're not going to have many more games like that this year. You wouldn't anticipate that Antonio Rudiger is going to continue to play as poorly as he did, or or there are many players that can give Andreas Christensen that tough of a time in the Premier League. And Mikel Antonio is an absolute freak. <laughs> I mean, just he's an absolute freak. You saw him score a worldly against the U.S. in World Cup qualifying a few weeks ago, and if you didn't go look at it on YouTube, uh, he's just he gives people problems. And he's not the most technically gifted player, but he gave Christensen a day that he won't want to see on on tape very much. I'm not suggesting there are a ton of things to do there. I think the way that you use Lukaku, the way that you progress the ball through midfield, and the way that you identify how and when to get your wingbacks forward, if it's not your preferred combination, which it almost certainly won't be, is going to be key to Chelsea not only navigating December, but navigating the rest of the season, right? 
And it's going to be the same with every other top team. You look at Man City, you look at Liverpool. If Man City lose Rodri tomorrow, they're done. Like They are absolutely done. There is no replacement for him in the team. If Liverpool lose Salah or Mane, they are done. They are not going to score as many points as they possibly could have. Chelsea are currently dealing with that in two different positions. In N'Golo Kante not being there every week and Ben Chilwell. So, I don't know. It's it's going to be fascinating. And if you can't get Lukaku firing, then Havertz has to be the guy through the end of the year. We're not going to do the Timo Werner thing through the middle anymore. I would even say that Christian Pulisic then becomes your second option in the center because he's shown better movement. So, I don't know. Lots of shit to talk about here, but that's that's kind of where we are. All right, well, uh, uh, we'll, we'll say uh, good job by Tiago Silva and good job by Mason Mount and Reese James yesterday. Uh, those are probably the three uh, worth some positive recognition at Mace with the uh, insane volley on that goal. Uh, we have not given it enough due credit in this episode. but Two uh, goals and two, two assists the last two games, so... Is he any good? I don't know. You He's tell back. Me. He's back, baby. Uh, anyway, uh, no, Dan, the match, uh, you know the rules. We lose, we don't run the poll. That's just how it works. Sorry. Um, results this weekend, City beat Watford 3-1. Liverpool at the death, 1-0 over Wolves. Brighton, Southampton, 1-1 uh, draw. Newcastle uh, getting a win against Burnley. 1-0. All right, boo. Do not like that. Do not let them get out of the relegation zone, please. Uh, we obviously lost 3-2 to West Ham. Spurs beating up on Norwich. Again, It's uh, you, you put the coin in, you win a prize, 3 uh, nothing. Man United off of Fred. Fred again, scoring goals and beating Crystal Palace one nothing for Ragnick's uh, first appearance as manager. And then leads Brentford a 2-2 draw. And at the moment, it is still an Aston Villa and Leicester draw 1-1 at the moment. Uh, as it stands and how that impacts the table, Man City on top. This is not not good. I don't like that. Uh, 35 points. Liverpool a second on 34. Chelsea a third on 33 points. SM United climb up uh, to fourth and in six points of Chelsea in third position. Tottenham up on 25 and fifth. Man United at six on 24 points. Arsenal in seventh on 23. Wolves on 21 points in eighth. Brighton, 20 points, ninth place. And then at the moment, Leicester, uh, 10th on 20th points. And your bottom three is still Norwich, Newcastle, and Burnley as your three potentially looking at looking down and not seeing the ground. I couldn't think of three better teams to go down. Just stay there the entire season. Mm, Burnley, get the hell out of this league. Just, you're shocking. (laughs) Absolutely shocking. Uh, Losing to Newcastle? Figure it out, you idiots. Um, look, I, I will say it, it is the stark contrast of how we felt after Juventus uh, till today, which is like not even two weeks ago. Peaks and valleys. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. We played our best football under Tuchel I've ever seen against uh, Juventus. It was dazzling and it was... The vibes were as high as I've felt since the Champions League final. And then to see where things are today and how quickly stuff can turn in the Premier League, Joe. I, I mean, it's going to be a long old season, huh? Yeah. <laughs> First, I'm very, very hoping for Senek. It's so funny. As Nick, you were going through that, I was just getting more and more depressed. Um, anyone who knows me well, particularly when we have the early Saturday game, will know that if Chelsea lose, it tends to ruin my weekend. And I, I very rarely do I watch any football until Chelsea play again. So while I was just seeing sort of City's goals pop up and Liverpool's goals pop up on uh, on sort of the, the app I've got on my phone, just getting sort of seething and more and more <laughs> in my sort of internal fume was developing. But... Yeah, it's going to be a long season. I mean, I think, you know, if if I take off my tinted glasses, um, I still think technically we're probably the third best team in the country if we're looking, I mean, taking a real, real hard view on things. So, you know, to challenge the title of the season and then I think another season where Tuchel can can sort of change and shape the squad again with, with a transfer window, um, continue to improve the players that he has at his disposal... I still feel that next season is going to be the one where we properly challenge. I think the disappointment comes from the fact that we have, to next point, we have played probably some of the best football in the league this season from any team. 
Um, and to see that level of, of football, you said the Juventus game, I think certainly the, the second half against Newcastle. We've seen some performances this season where we have looked absolutely sparkling at times and, and really, you know, I've left, um, you know, watching games feeling as, as good about watching Chelsea as I have done in many years. But to go from from that position, as you say, to, you know, being beaten by a West Ham side who we kind of, we sort of helped beat, you know, we kind of helped beat ourselves and some of the sort of similar mistakes we've seen over the past few seasons, sloppy passes, sloppy defending, that sort of stuff. It, it's probably maybe coming at the right time in terms of sort of a little bit of a humbling in terms of the, the team um, and, and maybe sort of refocus the, the fans a bit there. But the one thing I will always say about this Chelsea squad, I think that they have hopefully with the Champions League win and, and certainly some of the players they have now have the character to bounce back. My concern will will always be that until I think we see a few more changes to to the squad till we bring some players in and whether that be, I think, to, to Dan's point or, you know, finding a, a lawyer to terminate uh, Conor Gallagher's loan or whoever it might be coming back in. Um, I still think that the difference between, you know, how good we can be and how bad we can be is far too great to really properly challenged for a league title I think sometimes your your lows can't be as low as what we saw I know I know we beat Watford but the performance was was poor um and that that's obviously rolled into the West Ham game where we were beaten by a fluke goal but that's sort of the breaks there so I, I just I want to see a bit more consistency I want to see the level of this team you know the the floor of, of our performance level increase to a point where it's a lot more uh higher I said you're not you're not going to play sparkling football every week but there are times that I watch Liverpool or City and they're not at their best but they win one or two not very comfortably they take their chances um and teams have got that sort of crumbling mentality when they go one or two goals up um I just think at the moment we're giving teams a little bit of confidence when they play against us. We're not as assured and maybe not as as as, as robust in the system as what we've seen. So I think it's going to be tricky. You said January, I think we'll be telling. Um, I think what happens with Chiro in terms of the prognosis for his injury is going to be quite telling for the season. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's going to be a long one. And I think hopefully, as I said, said, we keep in touch. I still think we have every chance of winning the league this season. We maybe need a few bit more luck when it comes to injuries. We need to to get you know some of our more expensive players firing and scoring, um, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. But the more that I look at this this team in terms of the league and being that great across thirty eight games, I still think that the you know the European Cup is where we're going to make our, our money this season. I have a feeling, just the way that we can play, that we can play in these one off games, these ties, the way that European teams will actually attack us and we can counter and we can sit. I prefer us a little bit. I think we're a European side at the moment, maybe rather than a domestic one. But, you know, one of those where I'd love to be proven wrong at the end of the season. Um, but I think that's where my, my head is at the moment. I think we've got every opportunity in Europe to do something quite special again this year. Whether we have the consistency domestically, the physical um, traits within the team, the ability to withstand uh, probably the, the hardest sporting competition in terms of football in, in the world. I'm a little less certain of, but you know, I want to want to see that what the team are really made of over the next couple of games. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we we can push on and and and, re, and sort of bounce back from some two very poor performances and maybe the United one a little bit of a freak uh, goal there. Um, but bounce back now and start putting some of these uh, these sort of bad performances to bed and, and really kick on towards uh, towards January. All right. Well, there is the prescription, uh, you know, if you're uh, adverse to uh, periods of calamity and you might want to hibernate until January. Um, but that is uh, going to wrap us up for this one. Uh, hopefully you left feeling as if there are some solutions for Tuchel and Chelsea to try to make it through this effects, festive fucking fixtures and mm. uh we hope that that is the case but that's gonna wrap us up we had a fun pod in general we enjoyed i feel better even though nick uh tried to bring me down i feel better but uh hopefully it is the same for our I listeners do my best. out there <laughs> until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high.